0: But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Aesos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the, after that, we went to Mil- Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. So that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, And with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing To give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You
1: know, saying goodbye to those uh, you love. Is, uh is never never easy some people that don't even like to to say goodbye they just they just can 't handle all of the the emotions that are involved in in saying goodbye it's just this just really difficult i, I remember having a, a cousin that uh um, I grew up with and we we don't we didn't live too too far from each other, but it was just always difficult saying goodbye. <laughs> Even though we knew that we were going to see each other once again, it was just difficult to say, say goodbye. Um, Luke gives for us uh, a glimpse into Paul saying goodbye. We, we, we see and know that it is a difficult, um, it's a difficult task for Paul. It's, it's, it's difficult for those who are listening because. Uh, for Paul, for many of them, this this might this is going to be the last time they're, they're going to see Paul, and so we get a glimpse into how Paul would say goodbye. And though it's it hard and difficult, he has a lot to say. <laughs> he has a lot to say, and it is a good it is a good word. You know, in our, in our text, we we see that Paul is desiring now to go to Jerusalem. But his final destination isn't Jerusalem. He he wants to get to Rome. And it appears that he's in a hurry. He's in a hurry in our, the opening verses of our text to get to Jerusalem. But, but before he leaves this region, he wants to share, he wants to share some encouraging words with the churches that he has helped to plant, some of the churches that he has ministered to in this, in this region. See, after encouraging the saints in Troas, that's what we, we learned and talked about last week. His next stop is Miletus, where he summons the elders. He summons the elders from Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem. He doesn't want to stop in Ephesus because he he's in a he's in a hurry he's he wants to get to Jerusalem and so instead of a, of stopping in in uh, uh, Ephesus where he might be delayed he might be taken up with maybe some more persecution he might find some more persecution there he stops in Miletus and and summons the elders to come to him if you have been with us over the last several weeks, I hope you have noticed, and I hope you have begun to realize that uh, that the city of Ephesus has played a large role in Paul's ministry. Uh, Luke spends more time telling us about Paul's ministry in Ephesus than any other city he visits. He was Paul was emotionally uh, attached to the local church there, and and you can hear it. You can hear it. That, that he had a that he had a, a an affinity a, a passion for these believers you can hear it in these parting words that he has for the elders. You see, Paul was not a, a distant he wasn't a, some distant missionary who saw himself as above the people whom he ministered to. He he wasn't a traveling evangelist who was there one day and 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 gone the next. Paul, Paul actually had had walked with these men and women. He wasn't a a leader who simply doled out instruction and and, and taught from an ivory tower. No, he had actually wept with the saints there in Ephesus. He worked with them, walked walked alongside them, and, and had been persecuted with them. And through it all, Paul, Paul, had set an example for the believers in Ephesus. He set an example, just like he told the saints in Corinth to be imitators of me as I am imitators, as I imitate Christ, his desire for the Ephesians was no different. He, he was a leader who set an example both in speech and in conduct. Paul would never, never, he would never find Paul using the phrase do as i do uh do as i say and not as i do right for the leader who uses that phrase they they lose credibility they they lose influence there there is a there is a disconnect there think think over your life who who has had the the most influence who are the men and women who have influenced you the most who are the men and the women whom you have listened to or, or heeded their advice. Has it not been those whose, whose life matched their speech? They had earned, they had earned, they have, they have earned the right in many respects to actually speak into your life because you see that, that what they, who they are in private or who they are in public is who they are in private as well. This is, this is the Apostle Paul's relationship with the saints in Ephesus. Both in speech, both in speech and in conduct, he had earned the right to speak into the lives of these men, these Ephesian elders. What, what we have here in the latter half of Acts chapter, 20 is the is a farewell speech full of emotion. It's it's full of encouragement, it's full of exhortation. Brothers and sisters, we could we could spend several sermons, several sermons on this text and fail, fail to scratch the surface of all that we could pull out of these several verses. So today, today we are going to look at three key verses. Three key verses in this text. Paul, he, he wants to share important truths in these texts. He shares some important truths in these texts to these Ephesian elders for their Christian walk as well as for their Christian service. And, and so you say, well, well if he wants to share for these, uh, uh, to these Ephesian elders, and, and I'm not an elder, maybe this, this text doesn't have any import for me so I can just check out, go to sleep. No, no, brothers and sisters. I want to encourage you not to check out. I believe that there is a word here for all of us, for all of us who would listen if we would have ears to hear. Paul shared these truths, but it is important to remember what we already discussed. Paul is not sharing anything with them that he has not already modeled. Look at the language he uses. In verse 18, he says, You yourselves know. (laughs) Again, in verse 34, you yourselves know. Verse 35, in all things I have shown you. Here is Paul saying, you know me. Look at my life. I have walked among you. I'm not sharing something with you that, that you have not seen in my life. You yourselves know. The admonitions, the warnings, the instructions come from a, man who was saying, do as I say and do as I do. His first word, his first word to these Ephesian elders is count your life as nothing. Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul, or should I mention, or or should should I say Saul, before God saved him was indeed a Driven man, was he not? He was, he was driven. He was a man full of ambitions. He was full of goals. He came from good stock and therefore he felt like it was within his blood to succeed. He had been given a, a head start in life and he was going to take full advantage of it. This is what Philippians chapter three tells us. Look at how Paul describes his life before Christ. Circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, 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 of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law a Pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless you see that Paul's desire he he was he was ambitious about carrying out his mission and what was his mission his mission was to persecute the church and he went out about it Full bore. He was was all in. That was his mission. He says, zealous about persecuting her. He says, his pursuit of righteousness under under the law, in his eyes, it could not be matched. But God, but God had other plans for Saul, did he not? He had other plans. Plans for Saul and on the road to Damascus, God extraordinarily snatched Paul from the kingdom of darkness and put him on the, on the path to the kingdom of light. It was here that Paul received a new goal. He had, a, he had received a new passion, a new ministry. He would be God's chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul never turned back. He was driven, he was driven by this message and mission. Brothers and sisters, do you know, do you realize that we can trace the reason for Paul's time in Ephesus all the way back to the Damascus road? The the reason he is even in Ephesus was because he decided to count his life as nothing. That's that's why he's in Ephesus. He had been given a new mission and he wanted to carry out that mission. I think that is why Paul in our text begins to recall what his time has been like in Ephesus. He he makes mention of the tears that had been shed, the the countless hours of time and energy he had given to teaching the, the men and the women there. The persecution he had received. The hands of those who opposed him. I don't... I don't think Paul is just rehearsing for them his, his diary and his accomplishments so that they might look at him and, and, and be impressed and, and praise him. I, no, I believe Paul is recalling for them these things so that they might follow his example. Brothers, this is what it looks like to count your life as nothing. This is what it looks like to run the race that God has for you. Paul's passion was to preach the gospel. He counts his life. He counts his life as nothing. Remember what he told us in Philippians chapter 3, where he's talking about his life before Christ. Do you, do you know what follows after that? Verse 7 and of Philippians chapter three, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul told these elders, He told, like he he told the saints in Colossae, listen, I I died and my my life is hid with Christ in God. My my life is of of no value apart from Christ. I, I don't pursue the things that I want to pursue. I pursue the things that Christ would have me to pursue. That's the race I'm running. That's That's the goal that I am, for which I am striving. Why would Paul want them to know this? Why would Paul want them to to count their life as nothing? Maybe the question is, why should we do the same? Why should we count our Lives as nothing. What practical import does Galatians 2.20 have in our lives? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why, Why does that have practical import for you? You understand that when you count your life as nothing. You are able to then persevere through the trials. Look at verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul was persecuted there in Ephesus. But, but not only was he persecuted in Ephesus, he's on his way to more persecution. Look at what he says in 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Trials and persecutions. These struggles, these persecutions were were the norm for Paul. And we're talking about real, real persecutions. Beatings and and imprisonments. Real persecution. Blatant hostile opposition to what Paul was trying to to do. Do you know what these these, these trials and these, these persecutions, they did not keep Paul from preaching the gospel. They did not keep him from continuing the race God had set for him, pressing toward the goal. Why? Because he counted his life worth nothing. Paul understood. He understood that even with the beatings, even with the opposition, even with the imprisonment, With Christ, it was better than a life with no trials and no Christ. Apart from Christ, Paul considered his life of no value. It it wasn't precious to him. Even in the midst of persecution, it was not worth going back to. Trials and persecutions, sufferings, they, they afflict. Everybody, everybody goes through trials, not just some people, but all people. This includes you, Christian. As Christians, we often suffer persecution for righteousness sake. The question is, do you see your life as better even in the midst of the persecution and trials because you have been crucified with Christ? and no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in you. That you you recognize that your life, even with the the persecutions, even with the trials, is is better because you have Christ. You get that truth. You can say, like the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed even in the midst of persecutions, even in the midst of trials, Christian, is better than a life with no trials and no Christ. When you count your life as nothing, you persevere through the trials. But it also means, it also means that you boldly proclaim the truth. Look at what Paul says to these elders in verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, persecution and, and, and even, even fear, the fear of persecution can often influence people to change. The message. Leave out a piece here. Add a piece there. All for the sake of being agreeable. I, I don't want to ruffle feathers. Saying things in private is cool, but, but not so much in public. Or, or the temptation arises to share that which is not really profitable like our opinions instead of the word of God. Paul reminds these elders that, listen, guys, I taught you you without reserve, no no matter the consequences. And and note that he did not discriminate with the gospel. He taught in in public and from house to house. He proclaimed to all, all of it, to all who would listen. Later on, he would say in verse 26, 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole council of of God. Paul talked about it all. He wasn't he wasn't this per he wasn't one of these preachers that talked about grace but but didn't talk about sin. He talked about creation and sin and and the Messiah, Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. He talked about it all and and all the implications of those truths. You know why Paul could could fully proclaim the the full counsel and boldly proclaim the full counsel of God because it wasn't his message to control. It wasn't his message to control. The ministry that he received was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The, The message belonged to God, not to him. He was at no liberty change, edit, or delete any part of the message. Like Jesus, Paul was about his father's business. He had come to do his will. Now listen, brothers and sisters, if, if the apostle Paul wasn't at liberty to pick and choose what he wanted to share, what makes us think that we can? We like to water down the message think that somehow by watering it down or not sharing the more difficult parts of the Bible, it will be easier for people to understand. You know what that is? That's really just a facade. It's just a facade. But, but the, the real issue, the real reason we don't, we don't do it we not do is we are afraid of losing friendships. We're, we're afraid of the persecution that might come. So we change it. We, 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 we seek to defend God. We leave out the difficult parts. As somebody said, God doesn't need defending. <laughs> he could defend himself. Brothers and sisters, it's not our message to change. It is Christ's message. And when we realize, when we realize that our life is of no value and that we are hidden then in Christ, the opposition, the, the rejection, you understand, is not against you. It's against Christ. Remember what Jesus told Paul on the road to Damascus? He says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Here Christ was identifying himself with the, the church. And so that you, Christians, when you proclaim the full counsel of God and receive opposition and receive persecution, it's not against you. It's against Christ. And you know what Christ says? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will handle it. Brothers and sisters, what we really need to believe is 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so therefore, we share the whole counsel of God. We don't leave out sin. We talk about it. We don't leave out the difficult parts of the Old Testament. We talk about it. We don't leave out what the Bible says about homosexuality. We talk about it because we share the whole counsel of God. It is not our message to change, brothers and sisters. It belongs to God. When you count your life as nothing, you preserve, you persevere through the the trials, and you boldly proclaim the truth. Paul tells these elders to follow my example, counting your life as nothing. Nothing. But, but he also tells them, he also tells them to shepherd the flock of God. These are the elders he's speaking to. Shepherd the flock of God. He says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood as we 've already mentioned had a genuine he had a genuine concern for the Ephesian church in, in, in fact, he had a concern for all of his churches but but he wanted to, uh, to, to to communicate the responsibility that these overseers that these elders had had been given. It was a weighty responsibility to which they had been called they they were shepherds or, or overseers, as as Paul calls them. We, we know that Paul uses this, this term interchangeably, and so we, we see these elders as as overseers as as shepherds. It would be important for them to understand that they were overseers, not owners, overseers, not owners of the of the flock they, they did not own the flock but but God had entrusted the sheep to their care, and they were to care for her. Paul instructs these elders on how they were to do so. They were to pay close attention to their lives. Pay close attention to themselves. This is the word that is comparable with, with Timothy, 1 Timothy First 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Here again, Paul was appealing to the example he had set for them. Elders, as he would also tell Timothy later, were to be men above reproach. Men whose private lives matched their public lives men, these elders, couldn't be be telling the, the saints in their congregation to fight sin while sin was running rampant in their own lives. They were to be men of integrity, men of the scriptures. Keep a close watch on yourself is what he tells these elders. Caring for them went hand in hand with caring for the flock. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Paul says that they were to care for the flock, loving them. This is what God would require of them, this is what He would require of them. This is the ministry. To which they had been called. And just like Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, they were to run the race that was set before them. That they were to to run it hard. They were to have the same passion and the same dedication as Paul. They were to care for the the flock as Paul, as passionately as Paul went after proclaiming the gospel. They needed to stay on task. Why? Why? Why did they need to do this? Well, for two reasons. For two reasons, there were wolves lying in wait. There were wolves lying in wait. Oh, we know this is—we know this is the case, right? When um, there, there, there's, there, there was danger involved, right? We we as parents, we, we we know our kids. If we were to leave our kids at home, what do we tell them? Don't don't open up the door, right? If the doorbell rings, don't open up the door. You want to care for them. You want to protect them. There are wolves waiting for you. Paul warned them that when he left them, there would be wolves from inside the church and outside that would seek to devour and ravage them. Some people ask, want to know oftentimes, well, what do you elders do? (laughs) What, what do, What do elders do? Well, it's important to understand what shepherds do. Shepherds care for. They, they, they love. They, they pr- protect. So the elders, the elders that have been raised up among you, whom God has appointed uh, over you, are to, to protect. And one of, those, one of the ways in which we protect, we protect from heresy. Those who would come in and, and seek to, 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 to cause dissension, and to bring to us another gospel. The elders come in and protect those among the body who would would seek to, to sow discord. Faithful elders protect the flock. Paul says, watch out for the wolves. Watch out for the wolves. The second reason he They were to care for the sheep is because the church, the church belongs to Christ. The church belongs to Christ. Uh, We need, elders need to say this all the time. The church belongs to Christ. Paul gives to these elders a sweet, a sweet reminder. It it expresses, it expresses the the weighty call of an overseer. But it it is also a comfort to all those who name the name of Christ. The the shepherds are to care for the flock of God because he has obtained her or purchased her with his own blood. I don't know if you've ever been... Given something from somebody to care for. And it's and it costs quite a lot of money. You 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 want to take care of that item. And and the reason you want to take care of it because you understand the the value. You understand how much it might it, it costs them. Sacrifice. The money. Do you realize? Brothers and sisters, that Christ did not redeem you with silver and gold. He didn't, he didn't have to work to save up money to purchase you. He purchased you with his own blood. With his own blood. Blood, as Peter one 18 through 18-19 tells us, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ephesians 1.17 tells us, or 1.7. In him, we have redemption. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of of our sins, uh, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Brothers and sisters, this word, this word here is so encouraging. It is so rich and it has implications for elders and for members. For elders. For us, this is a word, brothers and sisters, that I hear that we as elders need to hear over and over and over again. We need to understand that the the sheep that we shepherd, the, the sheep that God has made us overseers of, that we don't, they don't belong to them. They belong to God. And therefore, Therefore, they should be treated accordingly. The sheep should be treated as God, as the the Lord would have them to be treated, with with care, with with patience, with with compassion. Brothers and sisters, this is how we should be treating the flock as elders, with with care and compassion and with love and with patience. We We should hear what Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but but being examples to the flock. And sisters, this is a convicting word for those who are elders and would desire to be elders. The, The church that God has made elders overseers of he has bought with his own precious blood and they are to be cared for. They are to be loved. They are to be encouraged. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you would, you would see that and feel that and sense that from the elders that, that God has set over you. Oh, it is a convicting word, I'm telling you. Because we as elders, we, we are not perfect. We We fail. There is a great shepherd. There is a great shepherd, which makes this this so encouraging for for the body. It makes it so encouraging for the elders. This This is a good word for the sheep because boiled down, brothers and sisters, we are all sheep, including the elders. All sheep. And we all belong to God, bought with the blood of Christ and therefore are precious to God. We are precious to him. And you know what that means? You know how what import that has in your life? Brothers and sisters, that should be a comfort to you. A comfort to you that you are bought with the precious blood of Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us uh, as much and, question one, Lord's Day one, what is our only comfort in life is the question. And the answer comes that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Brothers and sisters, that is a comfort. Amen, amen. That, is a, that is a comfort to believers. Pastor Tony, in his, in his book, book, Blood Work, says this being the possession of Christ is the hope of the Christian. Belong to Christ, bought with his own precious blood. Paul has has challenged these elders to count their lives as nothing. He has exhorted them to shepherd the flock. But I am convinced, I am convinced that what he says at the end of his remarks perhaps brought the most encouragement to these elders. It brought, it brought significant encouragement, and I pray that it would bring encouragement to us this morning. You know what Paul does? Paul entrusts them to God. He entrusts them to God. Look at verse 32. And now I commend to you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul's last word for these elders is an encouraging word. It is an encouraging word. Pastor Tony last week said that we were to leave one another as Christians, that we are to leave one another with an encouraging word. This right here is an encouraging word. Brothers and sisters, we are to commend people to God when we leave them. Commend them to God and to the word of his grace everything, everything that Paul has has shared with them up to this point, everything that he has told them and exhorted them and encouraged them to do would be of little effect apart from the grace of God. You see, Paul, he doesn't doesn't commend them to Paul. He doesn't commend them to himself. He, He doesn't commend them to their gifts. He commends them to God and to the grace of God. It would be grace. It would be the grace of God that would build them up. It would be the grace of God that would, that would build them up. It would be the grace of God that would allow them to, to throw, to, to give their, their, their lives away. It would be the grace of God that would allow them to shepherd, to shepherd the flock that was among them. What a, what a closing, what a closing benediction to pronounce upon these Ephesian elders. This is, this is Paul leaving them. He reminds them of the promised inheritance that awaits all those who are in Christ the inheritance Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading Kept in heaven for you. This is the inheritance that Paul commends them to. He says, This awaits you. The, the grace of God will, will carry you, will build you up and prepare you for this inheritance. Oh, well, this was a difficult time. The the text tells us that there were tears, there were hugs. There were, there were kisses. It was a difficult time. Some people just don't know how to say goodbye. But for the Christian, brothers and sisters, saying goodbye is never the end of the story. Paul would, would not see some of, these, some of these elders again. He tells them so. He says, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I may not see you again. He, he, he wasn't planning to come back to, to Ephesus. He couldn't he couldn't hop a plane and, and step, you know one day and go and see him right couldn't face time with him <laughs> right he wasn't going to see him again, but Paul could leave the Ephesian church he could leave them with confidence he could leave them with joy, not because He trusted the ability of the elders. He trusted in the grace of God. That's why he commended the elders to the grace of God. For ultimately, for ultimately, it would be grace that would lead these brothers and sisters home. It would be grace that would build them up It would be grace that would bring them home so that they might receive that inheritance. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that it is only grace that brings anybody home? Mm -hmm. It is only grace that brings you home. So I want to commend to you. I want to commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Tomorrow's not promised. So I want to point you to Jesus, to the grace of our Lord Jesus. He has fully paid for all your sins with his precious blood. Turn from your sins. Trust in Christ. And I want to commend to you the word of his grace that is able to build you up and bring you home to that wonderful inheritance that is kept in heaven for.